everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a wife, a mom, kindergarten teacher, writer, blogger, and podcaster, and you are listening to episode 24. Today in My Favorite Things, I'm going to talk about being on TV and give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes scoop um, in terms of a recent TV appearance that I did on a morning show. In the lifestyle segment, I'm going to talk to you about just getting to the doctor already when you're having symptoms. And then later on in the show, my special guest is Lisa Durante, and she is a working mom consultant. And she has created basically a little boutique firm where she works with both moms and with businesses, helping with the transition sort of into mat leave, on mat leave, back from mat leave, and then moms in the workplace. So uh, she has a lot of really interesting insights to share. So I hope you'll stick around for that. So right off the bat with my favorite things, if you have followed me for uh, for any time at all, I'm sure you know I do um, occasional TV segments related to education. I've been on shows um, like back when Canada AM was around, I did Canada AM. I've done The Social, I've done a lot of our local, a lo- local channel, and as well as Global's The Morning Show. And I've been on it three times before, um, but it was very different because... I was there because I had been hired by a PR firm who in turn had been hired by Walmart to help promote some of their products. So the three other segments I did, two were on back to school shopping and one was on Christmas gifts for teachers, but I was kind of hired by that third party and I didn't really um, work at any details with Global myself, but this time was very different. So they have changed their morning format and they've gone now to a six o'clock to nine o'clock show that's sort of separate. And then 9 to 10 is what they're calling the morning show. And Carolyn McKenzie and Jeff MacArthur are the hosts of that. They used to do the earlier piece as well. And then it went till 9.30. The 9 to 9.30 um, half hour was the national piece. And now that's uh, gone from 9 till 10. So it's an hour long. So I actually reached out to producers and pitched myself to do different segments, um, giving parents information about education. So probably a couple of months ago, we booked this segment, picked the date, and then much closer to the time, I was in touch with the host, Carolyn, who actually produces their parenting segments. And I had pitched a whole bunch of different ideas and questions and things, and she picked a few that she wanted to talk about. So I had a little bit of a, a chance to prepare. And that has been my experience with the social as well. You go through the questions with the social. They even wanted to know what my answers would be so that they could kind of preview things. With the morning show, I didn't have to give them necessarily a lot of my answers, but it was very clear what we were going to be talking about. So I also went in advance to a little shop in Lindsay called Kathy Allen Ladies Wear, who have agreed to partner with me for um, outfits for upcoming segments. So I got my outfit from them and, of course, get my nails done and all that stuff ready to go. With the morning show, I had to get up super early because, of course, it's a morning show and I live outside of Toronto. On a good day, it should be an hour and a half to get to the studio if there were no traffic. But I allowed about three hours because of morning rush hour. So I was up um, probably around 4.30, getting ready, 5.30, left the house. It was 7.15 when I arrived, and I wasn't supposed to be there till about 8.45. So that was good. I had lots of time to spare. And then when I went in, I was greeted and taken to the green room where I waited around. And so as hosts were coming on and off, they were coming in and out of there, other guests. It's a show where you come with your hair and makeup ready to go. At the social, they did my makeup, but I had time in the mornings to go to my hairdresser and get her to do an updo or something for me. Whereas in this case, there's really nobody who wanted to do my hair at 4 a.m. So I just kind of did my own hair and my own makeup. But there's um, a lovely woman there uh, who was happy to do some touch-ups and things like that. And she really did. She really did help me out and refine my work. So that was fun. 
And then when it was time, just during the commercial break, I was taken out to set, Mike put on, and I just sat down. We kind of said hello, chit-chat a little bit with the hosts. I have a friend there named Rishma, who is one of the uh, the communications um, people there at Global News. And she happened to be in that building that day and said she'd take some photos for me. So she was getting all sorts of behind-the-scenes pics as the segment was going on. And basically, they just walked through the four different things that we had agreed that we were going to talk about. And it was live. That show is uh, is live. Sometimes if they have a special guest come in terms of timing, they might record it and just plug it in or whatever. But generally speaking, the, the show is live. And then when it was over, that was it. So I went and got a few more pictures taken and then um, walked right out of the building, got in the car, started to get ready, realized I still had my mic on, which, you know, you'd think it was my first time, which it was not. But so I had to go back in and, and hand my mic in. But and basically that was it. So it was over. I mean, the segment, I think if I looked on um, online where I have the clip, it's about four and a half minutes. So it seems like a lot of, you know, work and prep and driving and waiting and everything for a short segment like that. But I do find it fun. I love TV and broadcast journalism and all of that sort of thing, like a morning show is is right up my alley. And it's just fun that I can use my area of expertise, which is is education to hopefully help parents. I know a lot of parents, everybody knows what they're doing. But of course, people have questions about the ins and outs of how school and education actually works. So I think sometimes they appreciate hearing from uh, from an experienced teacher. So I hope that it helps other people and I get some fun out of it too. So that is my little behind the scenes of Global's The Morning Show. If you have any questions, um, I thought I would do that a little bit because often people will send me texts and things like, was it live? Did they do your hair? Did you know the questions? A lot of the, the things people want to know. So I thought I would cover all that in a little, a little segment here on the podcast so that you could be aware. But if there's anything else you want to know, please reach out. I love to answer people's questions. I am on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves and Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. I have pictures on all of those accounts of um, of the segment, a bit of behind the scenes, my outfit from Kathy Allen, if you want to check any of that out as well. And in the show notes for today's episode, I will also include a link to the segment if you're interested in checking out that video. So next up in the lifestyle segment, I just want to talk about getting yourself to the darn doctor when you need to. So I've always been the type not to want to bother going to the doctor for myself or for my kids. I mean, unless one of us is in severe pain, like if we're talking about a painful situation, but I'm not the type who sees a little symptom and then thinks, oh my gosh, I got to gotta get in right away. And maybe part of it is convenience because... I've always been a mom who works during the day. So when my kids had symptoms or when I had symptoms, it wasn't just so easy to get a hold of the doctor and get in on time and all of that. Although my parents have always been wonderful to take them to appointments when when necessary. Don't get me wrong. But I'd kind of take the wait and see approach a little bit. Maybe I was a bit lazy too. I don't know. But again, unless one of us was was in pain or I do have to say the time I found a lump in my breast, I think I was on the phone before I even had my shirt back on because I took that one really seriously. But But little things. I have a couple of embarrassing stories about the girls. I mean, one is when Liv was, oh, I'm going to say 18, 19 months old, we were getting ready to leave for daycare to drop her off at my sister-in-law's in the morning before school. And she had a toy in each hand and was walking down the steps of the landing in our garage. And the dog we had at the time was very excited, running around, doing circles on the landing, and then trying to brush right past her. She went down the stairs and so she fell face first, held onto those toys, but hit her mouth on one of the steps. So I was already packing things up in the car. So I went over and, you know, got a Kleenex or whatever, cleaned up the blood. I thought it was a bloody lip. That's what it looked like. So cleaned it all up. She went to daycare for the day. And then at the end of the day, my sister-in-law said, you know, she didn't eat too much, wasn't really herself. And 
And then I got home and served dinner and realized she wasn't really eating. And then I went over and looked inside her mouth and I thought, oh my God, because her teeth were like the two front teeth. One was shattered and stuck up in her mouth. The other was broken. It it was awful. So that was my one little uh, guilty moment where I thought, you know, maybe I could have looked into that a little more closely and gotten some quicker treatment, but it all worked out. And then with Eva, even not too long ago, she was complaining for, oh, probably a couple of weeks about not being able to hear very well out of one of her ears. But she was in no pain. It wasn't really bothering her, except for the fact that her hearing was a little bit muffled. And you know how sometimes with kids, you just think, well, maybe they're exaggerating or it's not so bad or whatever. But finally, it went on long enough that by my standards, I thought, no, we'll, we'll get in and see the doctor. And uh, it was completely clogged. So it wasn't infected. She didn't need any antibiotics or anything like that. It was just a case of needing to be um, like rinsed right out, flushed. And after that, she could hear perfectly fine. And on the way back to school in the car, she was saying, why is everything so loud? Turn down the radio, stop talking so loud. Because her hearing was all back. So I have kind of learned that, you know, I need to be careful about about putting things off. There were some times that I know I should have gone. But you also hear a lot about overuse of antibiotics. So for my kids and for myself, and there are certain things like um, ear infections where they say, they, you know, on online, where they say that they will clear up without antibiotics. Antibiotics might make it a little bit sooner. So if you're talking about a child with pain, that's a whole different thing. But if it's something where you can just treat the pain and not worry about antibiotics, it'll be fine. I did also learn, though, that strep throat does not usually clear itself up. Um, Strep needs to be killed by antibiotics. So I always worry with a sore throat or something that, that it's that. But to get to my most recent story... If you have listened a few episodes back, I talked about our lovely trip to Cuba and then coming back and having pink eye and there was a big issue with that. I thought it went away and then it would come back and I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I thought, well, maybe it is bacterial. So I tried the polysporin drops. They didn't seem to do anything. I was following everything I could. And then I thought, well, maybe it's a product I'm using, but it was only in one eye. And really, I just didn't want to have to miss any more work to get to the doctor. And then it ended up that I was having an issue with my ear where I had fluid draining out of it, which I would notice the most when I would be sleeping on my side at night and then wake up in the morning. It was very easy to tell that it had had significant drainage overnight. I will spare you the details, but I wasn't really in much pain with that. And also, more details for you, I always have really itchy, dry ears and I'm always scratching at them. And so I thought, you know, maybe I just hurt the inside of my ear somehow and it's just, there's fluid, whatever. I didn't think I needed to do anything about it. So basically, I just put up with annoying symptoms for my eye and my ear literally for weeks. And then finally, one morning I got to school and one of my colleagues said, wow, your eye's still really bad, eh? And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm probably grossing my coworkers out. I need to do something about this. So I called that morning. The wonderful receptionist was able to squeeze me in in the afternoon. And the doctor said, yep, you've got, uh, you got a pink eye, bad infection in your eye. And then she took one look in my ear and said, yep, that's infected. So I got antibiotic drops, different, different ones for each within a day or two. Everything was cleared up beautifully. I did continue to use the the meds as long as I was supposed to. For seven days, they both were. And everything was fine. But driving back from that appointment, I just thought, okay, seriously, why didn't I just get to the doctor and get this all cleared up earlier? So it's just a little lesson that that as much as you might want to put things off or be tough or it's fine or wait and see, 
sometimes it will be a lot easier on your life if you just actually go ahead and do it. Something else that I realized too is it can be really helpful to note on your calendar, whether you have a paper calendar or you keep something on your phone, when you have symptoms. So, and I even had on my phone some photos that I had taken of my eye on different days. So I could kind of whip that out and show to the doctor, okay, they were really bad February 22nd when I woke up, that's what they look like. And then this is kind of how things have progressed. It's nice to have that that data and that information, and especially if there's some sort of niggling symptom like, well, when did I notice that lump or when did that thing start happening? You've got that information for yourself to realize, okay, yeah, this has been a long time. I better get to the doctor. And then also to give the medical professionals that information so that they can give you the best diagnosis and treatment too. So my public service announcement for today, get to the doctor already. I'm very excited to introduce my special guest today, Lisa Durante. Lisa is a consultant and she makes it her business to empower working moms so that they can thrive in their careers and at home. She's also the mom of two young girls. Welcome, Lisa. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm going to jump right in and ask if you can just tell us a little bit about the work that you do in your consulting. Yeah, I'm a working mom consultant. So I, I focus on working mothers. Um, and now as more dads are taking time off, I'm hoping to work with working dads as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I work individually with women, um, as well as through their employers, offering them courses and uh, training to really build their capabilities as working moms. I start with parental tra- parental transition workshops where I'm helping them plan their maternity leave, um, as well as helping them plan their returns so they they can get back to work. Um, And as well as what I call career life uh, capabilities. So anything from learning how to influence and delegate and negotiating. So all those skills that are needed as a working parent. I also work with companies and I offer, you know, these employee workshops through them. And then I also deliver leadership training so that managers are better equipped to support parents as they leave and as they come back. Um, And then I'm also working with companies to help them set up policies and programs that I call them modern solutions for modern parents. So Mm -hmm. what are those policies that they can have and put in place so that their parents feel more supported? Such fascinating work. So on your website, one of the things you talk about is unconscious bias and maternal bias. What do you mean by those terms? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a big piece of the work. So maternal bias is a type of unconscious bias, similar to the way gender bias or racial biases. So it essentially, the definition for it is it's all those ideas and assumptions we have about mothers. So our brains are built to actually do the least amount of work. Um, And, you know, anything from brushing our teeth, we don't really have to think about doing that. It's just an automated process our brain allows us to do. And so, and it's, we do that all by the data and the information that we get, our brain gets over our lifetime. And so each of us has been exposed to mothers in one way or another. Um, you know, we've had personal experiences, you know, there's cultural experiences, there's social experiences, and then, you know, what we see in media and all of that. And so our brain has taken all that, processed it, and kind of has, it almost computes this automatic response. When we think of mothers, we think of these certain things. Um, And so the problem with it is that it holds mothers back because managers have these ideas 
And so if a manager believes that a mother is less capable uh, to perform her job, even though before she had children, she was able to do it absolutely fine, um, they will probably not give them the more challenging work. Um, But the problem, the real problem with maternal bias is that we ourselves have it. Um, And so that's where like the mother guilt comes in. You know, we think that we should be at home. We should be doing these things. And many times all of those maternal biases inside of us go against the goals we actually want to achieve. Interesting. Now, do you find some fields of work are any better or worse than others when it comes to that bias against mothers? Yeah, that's a tough one because it, it, we're starting to see some movement and the only way to kind of curb unconscious bias or break it down is for our brains to receive new information. Um, And so the only way to do that is if, you know, we start working and seeing images of working mothers and have a different experience than what, you know, our brain initially had. So the industries and the companies that are doing better are the ones that have working mothers in, you know, either as employees, but also as um, managers and leaders. So when we start to see mothers rising up the ranks, we start to redefine what a mother could do and could be. So the, the industries where leadership is still male dominated, you're really, women are still having really hard times. So when you think of finance, um, a lot of tech, uh, engineering, uh, th- those are still led by men predominantly. Even though there's a lot of women graduating and working in those fields, they're just not yet rising to the ranks. And so all of those old ideas still remain. Interesting. I mean, I know in education, it's so different because especially I mean, I'm in elementary school and it's primarily women in the field, right? Yeah. And a lot end up becoming principals and, and rising through in leadership. But I think it's, I think it's kind of unique in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and my, my background was marketing and communications and again, lots of women. Um, but then the companies that we worked for, it was all male dominated. So there was like this there's a little, a little bit of conflict. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned dads before and how you'd like to get working with some of them too, which is neat. What are we seeing in Canada and in other countries when it comes to trends with paternity leave? And what do you think is the value in dads taking advantage of some of that time? Yeah, paternity leave is just, it's so exciting right now. Um, and Canada in March, we issued a new or enacted a new legislation where dads can get up to eight additional weeks if they take parental leave, which is very exciting because it's going to encourage more dads to take it. Um, and we're seeing, you know, and this was, we're following the footsteps of Quebec, but then we're also following in the footsteps of the those Northern European countries that we always hear about, like Denmark and Sweden, where they have paternity leave. Um, and it's a bit more, um, customary for them to take leave. Um, And there's just so many advantages of it. Um, You know, there's advantages for the family um, and for the dad themselves. There was a study recently done by Dove um, and they, they found that dads who take paternity leave, no matter how short, even if it was just two weeks, are far happier. Um, you know, their marriages are more successful. Um, and then even the, the child themselves had so many benefits. They're starting to see just so many benefits of having both parents 
being active in their life. Um, and then from an economic standpoint, you know, the we need more women working. If you look at the graduates from colleges and universities in Canada, many provinces and in many fields, women are either at the halfway mark or a little bit over. Um, I think the global stat is that 60 percent of global graduates are women. So by having women not return to the workforce sooner, we're actually losing out economically. Uh, companies are losing out on that talent and then you know, families are losing out on that salary. Interesting. So when you mentioned the eight weeks, so does that, so let's say that there's a mom who's home um, on maternity and then starts parental leave. Does the eight weeks take away the amount of weeks she can have on parental leave or is it additional? It's totally additional and it's non-transferable. So it's for dads and non-birth parents. Um, Yeah. So it's, uh, so if you're on the 12 month scheme Mm -hmm. and dad takes time, he can get five additional weeks. And so that's on top of what mom takes. And if they're on the 18 month scheme, then he can get up to eight weeks. Okay. So it would essentially, the family can get 20 months of leave if both parents share it. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a Mm -hmm. great incentive. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a great step forward. So you also have written about the fact that in many families where there's a mother and a father in the household, there's something going on called maternal gatekeeping. And it's possible Mm -hmm. I may have been guilty of some of this in the past. Um, And this can kind of be indirectly holding women back. So can you talk about this a bit and share advice for moms who might be struggling with a bit of that gatekeeping? Yeah. And it's, it, it definitely is in heterosexual relationships, um, is probably more predominant there, but it is also found in homosexual relationships where the lead parent feels that they are, you know, they are the better parent. Um, so maternal gatekeeping is just this protective belief that the mother or, you know, the lead parent is the best for the job. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that idea and that dynamic in the relationship comes from while we're on maternity leave, you know, Mm -hmm. that becomes our job. And for a lot of women who are, I, I believe a lot of women are just strivers. We are, I wouldn't call them all, all of us type A, but we all really take our jobs seriously, no matter what that job is. And so we become very protective. Um, and so it could, you know, I know I've been guilty like you, been guilty of doing it, where I started to tell my husband to do something. And then I'm like, oh, forget it. I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my mother actually caught me doing that. I think my my daughter, we had just come back from the hospital. So she was like maybe a day, maybe two days old. And, you know, I was putting away the bags and my 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 daughter was crying and my husband was trying to console her. And I just stomped into the room, snatched her away and thought I could do it better. You know, we became parents at the exact same time. And yet I believed I could calm her down better than he could. And my mother took me aside and like only my mother could do, she scolded me like I was a teenager. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, and she was like, you cannot do that to her father. And, and she didn't even say you can't do that to your husband it was all about my daughter and she made it sound like I was taking something away from excuse me this always gets me all emotional it it um I was taking something away from her as well as from him and their relationship and so I I realized you know and and I have to say that I didn't realize it in the moment because you know (laughs) 
I, w- I became a snarly teenager and thought I was completely right in what oh, I was doing. Of course, yes. That's <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but it, it took some time where she, you know, she would talk to me over the next coming days and she was like, what you're doing is you're not only setting him up for failure, setting yourself up for failure because you can't do it all. And she knew that I very much wanted to become, you know, I would be returning to work. And she was like, you just can't do it all. You have to let him help in any way and find his own way as a parent. And so we stop our partners from being the best parent they can be when we are taking over all the time and taking control. So some of the things that I find that has worked for me um, and that I have suggested to others is to always start small. Um, because it's a big step, you know, it's a big step to relinquish control. So if you can start small, it could be little tasks that you do with your child. Uh, so pick something, it could be like bath time or bedtime, um, where initially you want to do them together because if you, especially if you've been doing it for a long time, you're going to have to transfer some knowledge because your child likes things done a certain way and you know what works. And so you can share some of that. But then over time, you're going to want to start stepping back. Um, and it could be while you're still in the room, you know, your husband takes over reading the book. Um, and then the next time you're just not in the room at all and you kind of leave it up to them. Um, and so that they can then do it their own way and figure out their own habits and their own fun way of having bedtime routines. So taking it really step by step um, and stepping away. And then there's also, we have to, and this is something I, I find so hard. It's remembering that there's more than one way to do something right. Um, <laughs> there right? is. I thought it was just my way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always think I, I have it the right way, but there's always more than one way. Um, and so it's it's just kind of keeping mum in those times where you want to say, no, it's this way. <laughs> and just taking that step back. Well, and it's interesting because the next thing I want to ask you about is delegating. And I know that that's an important skill out in the workforce, but that kind of applies to what we were just talking about too, right? Like it's easier for you if there's someone you can offload certain things to at home, just like, just like at work as well. Oh yeah. Um, delegating is, is critical for working parents. I think it's critical for any parent because you know, that, that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. It is so true. Uh, you need more than yourself to care for your child. Um, and so you have to start delegating at home. Uh, but at work, you know, it's one of those underrated skill sets. You know, there's all this talk about building skills around negotiation and influencing. And those are great. Those are important. But so is delegating. Um, because when you can delegate um, effectively, you clear off your plate so that you're focusing in on the things that are most important to your job, to, you know, your role. So it allows you to hone in. And when you have fewer things on your plate and you're stretched, you're not as stretched, you can really amp up the value that you bring to the work that you're doing. Um, and then when you think longer term, especially if you have, you know, aspirations to grow your career up the ladder, you know, those are very much the skills that managers need to have. Because as you grow your team and grow your responsibilities, you're going to have to start delegating them uh, so that they can all get done. Um, Because you otherwise, again, you will just set yourself up for failure. Um, And then it also, especially if you're working on a team environment, even if you aren't the leader, 
when you delegate to others, what you're saying is I trust you and in your Mm -hmm. abilities to help me do this. And so it's just great for camaraderie and, and trust within the team as well. Well, and that's an important point because I think when some people hear delegating, they think, well, no one works under me. I can't really, you know, order someone else to do these things. But I'm thinking, for example, at work right now, I'm, I've taken the lead on a big fundraiser, but it's something we're kind of all doing at school. And I mean, I certainly have no authority to tell anybody else they have to help, but mm-hmm. I kind of put a call out and people sort of said, okay, well, I'm on board with decorating and I can do this with tickets and I'm happy to pick up the drinks and whatever. So it's taking stuff off my plate, but again, it's sort of that team approach, getting people involved, showing them that they're important. And I know that they can handle those tasks too, even though they're my colleagues, I'm certainly not their superior in any way, but you're still Mm -hmm. kind of, you've got that sharing of the workload. Yeah. And and it's, it's very much the approach. It's, you know, you're not commanding anyone to do anything, but you're asking for help. You're reeling them in. Um, so it, it delegating, it, it is an art because it requires a certain way of doing it. And that that's true for even if you have someone who may be under you, quote mm-hmm. unquote, um, you still want, no one wants to be told to do something, but it's yeah. always lovely to be, you know, I need some help. Is there anyone available that can help me? Or even if you, you know, I know I've done this in the past where I've just, found someone that just had a skill that I knew I was lacking and kind of went and they were a bit more junior and really talking with them and saying, you know, I could really use your help on this. Would you mind? Um, And then it became kind of a partnership on how can we bring this to life? Um, And it, it just like, I still, all of those people that I was able to do that with, I built such strong relationships with that have lasted even when I've gone. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to circle back for a second back to the delegating at home part, because I just wanted to mention too, I think some moms feel like it's a badge of honor to do everything themselves. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there that I love help. (laughs) And you know what? I want to give my parents a shout out because there's so many things we wouldn't be able to do. Like my girls were in a play that had um, some rehearsals during the school day. Well, I can't leave and go get them to something, you know, that sort of thing. Or my daughter's got braces and they want the appointments to be during the school day. Well, again, she wouldn't be able to do that if it weren't for my parents doing, you know, so, but I think some people would be too proud or they feel like they're a failure somehow if they're doing everything themselves. So I just had that little uh, idea pop in my head that I wanted to mention Mm -hmm. that it's not a failure on any, on any Mm -hmm. level to be delegating. I think it's smart. Oh, completely. And I have to say that I, um, that was something that I had to learn. Um, I was, I was good with delegating with my husband, um, because we had, you know, we had kind of worked out a system between us right from the get-go, but it was really hard for me to let go and bring others in. Um, There was actually one year where I had started my working as an entrepreneur. um, And I believe that as an entrepreneur, I should be able to pick up my kids and care for them after school. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though my clients were, you know, scheduling calls you know, between at four o'clock when they were at home. Um, and so I was trying to do both. And it was finally a friend who was like, do you realize you're working a full-time job and you're trying to be a full-time parent at the exact same time? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until she started pointing things out to me that I needed help that, and then it took a long time after she said that for me to say, okay, I'm ready for some help. Um, and to start farming it out. And it was like, even asking my parents, there were so many times I felt so guilt-ridden calling on them. Um, but now I'm starting to get a bit 
you know, I'm, I'm much better now. Um, but it does take time and it's a skill to ask for help and to be okay with it and to feel like there's something, there's not something wrong with you. Absolutely. Totally agree. So I know some listeners uh, right now are moms who are currently on maternity leave and starting to think about that return to the workforce. What are your best tips for moms who are in that position right now? Um, Those going back to work, the first thing is, you know, is communications. Um, It's to communicate with your partner, to talk with your manager. So I always bring it down to three conversations that you should have. The first one is kind of with yourself and really asking yourself, what is it that I want as I progress? What do I want out of my career? What do I want at home? And just really getting clear on those those things that you want. And they don't have to be things that you want initially because when you first return to work, it's very similar to those first, you know, that first trimester after you have a baby where it's like survival mode. I equate that first trimester back to work as survival mode Um, where, you know, so you want to just think about what are some longer term goals, you know, even just for the year, just something so that you can kind of peg your eyes on because then that will set you up. Okay. These are the things that I want to accomplish. And this is maybe where I need some help. Um, The second one is to talk with your partner. Um, If you've been on leave for 12 months, 18 months, you've probably come into some habits and the dynamic in your family is that you usually take on the bulk of the childcare, you take on the bulk of the household. So that conversation is very much, how are we going to make this happen where we're both at work? Um, and really working together to come up with solutions. Like, how are we going to make sure that mornings run smoothly? Who's going to do the drop-off? Um, how can we make sure that our evening routine, you know, is as stable as possible for our little ones? Uh, so having those conversations and always using the word we, um, that you are in it together, um, is very important. And then the third one are work conversations. Um, I, If you can... Have some, you know, chats with friends, uh, what I, I'm using some air quotes, so friends at work, um, you know, just kind of get the latest gossip. What's going on? Um, what have you missed? Who's, who's moved? Who's been hired? You know, find out just those kind of things. Um, and then you also want to talk with your boss. Um, I really recommend this one that you sit down with your boss before you get back into the office, um, either in person or on the phone, whatever works for your schedule. Um, But if you can do it in person so that you have their undivided attention, that is great. And really ask some key questions. Um, You know, we have parental leave. um, But one thing that a lot of women find surprising is that you are not guaranteed your exact role. You are guaranteed a position with the company at a similar level. So you may not be going back to your job. And often at times that's not communicated to you. So you want to just sit down with your boss and say, okay, what job am I coming back to? Really ask that pointed question. Um, And then in addition to that, it's asking, okay, so what are the priorities on the team? If you've been out for 18 months, it's likely a lot of things may have shifted, Um, so what are the priorities? What are the goals? Do we have any objectives? So depending on the type of work you do, um, are there any quotas we have to meet this year? Um, so really trying to understand what you're walking into. Um, and by gathering 
that information, you can then, you'll be able to go in and prioritize because the the last thing you want to do is go in and start doing all the things you used to do that are actually not going to drive towards any of the new objectives that the team may have. And so you're really just going to be spinning your wheels. So by asking those questions, you are going to allow yourself to work smarter rather than harder. Okay. So plan ahead for those conversations. That's great. Mm -hmm. My final question for guests is always if they have a this mom loves or a favorite thing to share that you think listeners might appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I had to think about this because there were a few, but the one I am using a lot, it is an app and it's called Think Dirty. Um, I am a SHEO um, activator. And so we, SHEO invests in Canadian companies, uh, usually women-led. Um, I think they're predominantly all women-led um, and and that they're, they're changing the world. And so Think Dirty is an app that you can actually um, find information about your beauty products. Um, they have thousands and thousands of beauty products. So you can scan it or put in the name of it. And what comes up is a rating system on how clean it is. Um, because it's just as important to know what you're putting on your skin because your skin is porous and it goes into your body. Um, and so it's allowed me, like I'm, I will be at, you know, whatever shop buying my makeup and I will just kind of scan it in. And then, you know, if it gives me that red flag, I'm like, Oh, okay, this isn't a good one for me. Um, so it's just a fantastic app. Um, and it has allowed me to really live and buy clean products that are good for me. So when you talk about clean, you mean like with toxins and that sort of thing or environmentally clean? Exactly. Yeah. Um, both environmentally clean, but also it's, it's the, the ingredients that are used that they're not toxic to our skin. Okay. And to our bodies. That is a neat one. I always love when guests have something to tell me that I've never heard of before. So I will check that out. Think Dirty. Yeah, it's Think Dirty. It's, uh, I, I'm not sure where she's based, but it is a female founder and she's Canadian. And so, you know, that, that just makes it even better <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I'm exactly. supporting one of my own. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Lisa Durante, for being here with me today. I will have a link to Lisa's site and all of her social media accounts in the show notes for this episode at thismumloves.ca slash podcast. And this is episode 24. Thank you so much. What a great chat. Oh, thank you, Kate. And that brings us to the end of this episode of This Mom Loves. As always, if you enjoy the show, I would love for you to rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts and to share it with your friends. Thank you so much to my podcast editor, Lucas Wojcicki, and thanks to all of you listeners for being here with me. Until next time, have a great week.